As the Christmas season concludes, Luke chapter 2 and verse number 20 ends with Mary uh, pondering all these things. The shepherds leave and uh, they leave that little, that little inn or uh, that barn uh, where they're staying there. There's just, it's a crowded place of Bethlehem. But the Bible teaches in Leviticus chapter 12 that after a Jewish boy was born, you wait eight days, he's circumcised, and his name is given to him. And then they wait uh, 40 days after his birth, and then they take him and present him to the Lord with a sacrifice. One is a burnt offering, the other is a sin offering. Now, Jesus did not have any sin of himself, so it was more so for the mother. The mother, and it was after her purification was done that she would go to the temple and the Lord gives us a little bit of a sneak peek into what happened with Mary and Joseph following Christmas. Now, of course, Christmas was two days ago that we celebrate or choose to celebrate. We don't believe that Jesus was actually born on December the 25th. He probably was born in the more of the springtime. But uh, whatever time it was, uh, we've chosen December 25th to do that. And most of us celebrated together uh, with family or in yourself. Or you took the time to read the Christmas story as we did and uh, thought about its, uh, its, uh, its, uh, the settings and the meaning of Christmas. But nonetheless, after Christmas, eight days took place, and the Bible tells us that, that Mary and Joseph took uh, and they circumcised the Lord Jesus, and then they gave him his name. It's not a name they picked out. Both of them had been told of his name uh, whenever they angel the Lord. By the way, isn't it neat how much angels are involved in the Christmas story? Messengers of God coming uh, first to Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 and uh, while he was burning incense. And then, of course, to Mary and to Joseph and, and to the angels. Uh, the angels came, excuse me, to the shepherds and let them know. And then an angel of the Lord came to the wise men and let them know, you're not going to go back there. You've got to make sure you head that this direction. So there's a lot of things going on that God is moving heaven and earth to get his son. I love the verse in Galatians. The Bible says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. And it always reminds me something. God knows what time it is. How many of you folks are, you're not real good at patience? Anybody like that? You don't like to wait. You don't like to wait and drive through. You kind of evaluate, do I go through the drive through or go in? I'm going to decide what is faster for me. You decide like that. You decide what you're going to do. Well, God is not in a hurry. He's sometimes slow, but he's never been late. He always knows what time it is. He knows what time it is in your life. He knows what time it is in my life. And we can get antsy and frustrated, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. And he brought Jesus at the right time, and he'll be where you need him to be at the right time if you will serve him and honor him especially. But I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about Strong parents, special people, and then a saving prince. Those are the three points I want to make to you this morning. In the aftermath of Christmas, I see several things. Number one, I see strong and purposeful parents. Mary and Joseph, their job is not over. It's just beginning. There's a lot of things happening going on there. God has entrusted them with the opportunity for them to raise the Christ child. Now, they'll have multiple other children. They'll have another boy named James. They'll have another uh, boy named Jude. There's going to be girls. He's going to have little sisters and little brothers that were going to come from the union of Joseph and Mary, though he did not. They will share the same mother, but obviously different fathers. 
But he will grow up in a home, and yet they've been given the opportunity to be parents. Some of you became parents this year. Some of you became parents, and some of you will become parents in 2021. You don't even know it yet. But you're going to be carrying babies, and you're going to be directing children. But I see here in this passage of Scripture, there is some, there's a real call for strong and purpose-filled parents. We need it in this church. The society needs it. The Bible says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Many of the woes of our society go back to a lousy dad and a lazy dad and, a, and a, an aloof mother. A mother who's not purposeful, doesn't know what she's doing, is more concerned about her, her beauty than she is about the responsibility that God has given her in children. More, knows more about Facebook than they know about what's going on in her child's life. Too caught up in stuff. Too caught up in playing games. Moms and dads need to be serious and strong parents, purposeful parents. And then there's special people that God introduces us to in the aftermath of the Christmas story. Both of them are senior citizens, Simeon and Anna, very unique, special people. And then, of course, the Christmas story still continues to revolve around the person of Jesus, as Brother Paisley already spoke to us about. It's about the salvation that we can have. With that in mind, let's look at a couple verses here, if we can. Please pick up, if you would, please, Luke chapter 2. Get your Bible open. And let's look at a couple verses. Verse number 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, listed in Leviticus chapter 12, were accomplished, they brought him, the Lord Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And it came to pass in the law of the Lord that every male that opened the wound shall be called holy, or they belong to the Lord. That's what holy means. You have your, your holy Bible because it's God's Bible. The Spirit of God is called the Holy Spirit because it belongs to God. The reason in a few moments we'll, we'll take our time to present our tithes and our offerings to the Lord is because uh, the tithe is holy unto the Lord. That means if I spend it, I'm stealing. Because it's not mine, it's His. And I'll present the tithe as holy unto the Lord. When you get saved, when you accept Christ, God calls you a saint, a holy one. You're a holy people. Why? You belong to God now. Not everybody out there belongs to God. People who've accepted Jesus as Savior, they belong to God eternally. I like the song, Now I Belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. I'm glad I belong to Him. When I got saved, that's what it means. I now belong to Him. He belongs to me. I'm like a bucket in the bottom of the ocean, a five-gallon bucket. The bucket's in the ocean, the ocean's in the bucket. Nothing's going to change that. I am forever kept in the love of Christ, and nothing can separate me from the love of God. I belong to Him. That's why you need to know you're saved. If you don't know you're saved, you need to get that settled. We see that Mary and Joseph, they bring Jesus to the temple. Let's keep reading, and I want to make some points in just a moment. Verse number 24. To offer a sacrifice according to that which is said of the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There were actually three 
sacrifice. It was preferable, and if they had enough money, they would offer a whole lamb. But Mary and Joseph were not financially able to do that, and it looks like they offered two little turtle doves. Two little, the, 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 more, the more reasonable, financially speaking, sacrifice they could make. One for a burnt offering, one for a sin offering that they would offer as according to the law. Now let's look at the next passage, verse number 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the Messiah to come. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. Would that be to God that every one of us could have that testimony about us? And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, will you read it with me, everyone? And he came by the Spirit into the temple. To do after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation. I want you just to notice a couple things real quickly about these serious, strong, purposeful parents. I think, number one, they understood, and they understood biblical stewardship. You know, one of the best things that you can learn as a parent, a mom and a dad, is to learn this. Those kids are not yours. The Bible says that children are in heritage of, they're God's child. You get real squirrely real quick, mom and dad, when you think your kids belong to you. You think you can dictate what needs to happen. Every godly parent ought to ask themselves, what does God want for my child? Not what you want for them. The Bible tells us to train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. And I think there is every child has a particular bent. Like every tree has different branches that come off in different ways. No one tree is the same. No one child is the same. Every child has different strengths, different weaknesses, different gifts, different talents, different ways in which they're bent. Somewhat. He said, to train up a child in the way he should go. What is the way that God has prepared for him? He may not know that. She may not know that. And you may not know that completely. But it would be a good idea for all of us to evaluate our children with some spiritual understanding. First of all, that they're not ours. Parenting is a stewardship. One of the things that I am trying to learn as a pastor. I've been a pastor now for 20 years. I was 32 years old when I became a pastor. I was terrified. I am terrified today as I think about my responsibilities and that I had to sing this morning. That was rough on me, folks. Pray for me. I had like about five cups of coffee. Just, just keep... Have to, have to sing with such talented people over there. I can't even carry a tune to bucket with a handle on it. You know, just give me the lead part. That's about all I can handle. These guys are singing all these different parts. I said, God bless you. and God bless you. Just tell me, what, what, what's the lead? <laughs> but you know, the truth of the matter is, the thing is, I, as I learn as a pastor, I'm trying to learn, is this church is not my church. On purpose, I rarely ever say, my staff, my church. I don't call you my people. It's not because I'm not the pastor, and I understand the personal pronoun, and I understand the possessive pronoun. It's because I don't want to ever think for a moment that this is our church, this is my church. It always needs to be his. You're not my people, you're sheep of his pasture. 
But the same is true whenever you have the joy to parent a child, to direct a child. Some of, some of you, I always have a great heart uh, throb in my heart when I find that other families are not able to have their own children biological. And it's a very deep pain, a barren womb. Oftentimes, it's just very deafening and very difficult and very agonizing. But those of us who have children, we need to understand that they're a stewardship. And if we understand biblical stewardship, those kids don't belong to us. You need to help them know what to do. They need you. They needed you, and, and God put it in, in the world at that time that, that Jesus would be a, a high priest, that would be tempted with all points like we are, yet without sin. So he would know, he would be acquainted with the same, uh, the same infirmities that we have. He would know what it's like to be uncomfortable. He would know what it's like to be hot or to be cold, to be rejected. He would know what it's like to go to school. He would know what it's like to work and learn work. He would know what it's like to learn to read and learn to write and do the things that our kids will learn to do. But I think serious parents, number one, they understand biblical stewardship. I want to encourage you parents, get a checkup from the neck up. Make sure you're doing things the way God would want you to do them. Make sure you're responding to your children the way God would want. Make sure, ma'am, that you're reverencing their dad. Make sure, sir, that you're loving their mother. Some of the greatest things that you can do for your children is stay deeply in love with their mother and, 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 and admirable to their father. So many of us just so quick to, to get out of something where God wants to transform us through something as God would help us to do it. And everybody ought to fight for every marriage. I realize that it, no, and I'm sure that there are divorces that are not, that are not sinful. Sometimes it's just the way it happens. But all divorce is caused by sin. It's caused by a hardness of heart that people have. They're just, they just not going to do that. But oftentimes you can't find a reason to stay with your spouse. Make that child the reason. People say, well, I want it to be happy. I deserve to be happy. That's not a Bible verse. Okay? We can do anything God wants us to do. And I'm not here to beat up on anybody. And please understand that. I'm not thinking about anybody. I'm thinking about this mother and father. They understood that their, their parenting was a stewardship. They understood biblical Number two, they understood biblical standards. Why would they wait to the eighth day to name him? Why would they wait to the 40th day to go to the temple and present him? It's because they were Jewish people. And the Jewish people, God gave us two things from the Jewish people. They gave us the scriptures and they gave us the Savior. God brought our Savior through the Jewish lineage and God brought our scriptures. And they knew their Bible and they said, you know, the Bible is our standard. And this is what God wants to do. And the whole world didn't do that. Pilate and his kids wouldn't do that. Caesar Augustus and his kids wouldn't do that. The average fellow down the street in different places who were not Jewish, the Gentile folks, they didn't go do all that. You know why they did that? Because God gave them a message. People don't like standards today. Some of you, when I say the word standard, it gets on your nerves. Let me tell you something. It's in the Bible. Some of these standards that we hold dear to us, they're not, for, they're not something you'll die for. They're something you ought to live for. So many folks, well, you know, it just doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter until you start raising children with something that doesn't matter. 
I've watched people just trade in biblical standards of holiness. They were raised this way. They understood that some of them came out of wickedness and they've kept a right standard and holiness. And then their kids, they, they grow up and they just trash it. They throw it to the wind. They put themselves out there and let them know that they're no longer on that road anymore. They're no longer on, on the high road of, of purity and holiness. They're no longer uh, abstinence from drinking alcohol. They're no longer, they, they, they party with the world. There's no difference between the, the holy and profane. You look at their Christmas picture, it looks just like an unsaved person. You can't tell. Because they've thrown all that away. But I'm glad that there was a little mother and a little father who said, you know what, this is a biblical standard and we're going to do it the way God wants it done. Why? Because this child is not our child. We understand biblical stewardship. We understand biblical standards. Nobody will live someone else's standard for a lifetime. It'll have to become yours. But thank God we have the same Bible that we can obey. We have the same principles that we can apply. We got individual soul liberty, and I'm so thankful for that particular truth. This morning I taught that. I'll teach that again this afternoon at our members' orientation. What is individual soul liberty? First of all, is that Christianity and being saved cannot be coerced. Your mother, your father cannot decide that for you. God gave you to decide. He said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible tells us, but as many as received him. It means your choice. Your parent can't make you a Christian. If our president or our government says, no, we've been studying this Christianity, we want everybody in America to be Christians. Uh, Bible believers should shout loudest against that. Because it's an individual decision. But there's also some things in the Bible that are a little bit black and white. That just say, do this, don't do this. There's some things that you don't have to pray about whether or not you should steal. God says, thou shalt not. Well, I'm praying about whether or not I should be an adulterer. No, you don't have to pray about that. God's already told you, thou shalt not commit adultery. But there's other things that are a little bit more gray areas. God has allowed you not to be, has, has predicted us not to be a robot. I do this, I do this, I don't do this. These are things we do because we have a deepened love for Christ. We're not trying, we're not trying just to appease the Lord Jesus Christ. We're trying to please Him. Now that's your heart. If you just do things just because you want everybody else to be impressed, well, that's a question. Now we do need to watch because other people do look at us. What you put on Facebook, the whole world sees. And you're either giving people a good or a bad opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad that this little couple here, they understood biblical stewardship. They understood biblical standards and what the Bible says, and they were trying to do the very best they could do to please the Lord, not just to appease Him, but to make Him delightfully happy. Would to God we had that in our parents today. I think it's so sad that many parents, they just, they, just, they just excuse it away without any thought of their responsibility. I find also they were strong parents because they understood the biblical struggle that was coming their way. Look, if you would please, what Simeon said. If you look at verse number 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which are spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them, the mom and dad. And they said unto Mary his mother, Behold, the child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. What does a fall seem to mean to you? Something bad, right? 
rising again, that's something good. That's the gospel. It's two bad things and two good things. Jesus came, died, buried, but he rose again. For a sign that should be spoken against, and read verse 35 with me, yea, a sword shall, and the thoughts of many hearts shall, may be revealed. I want you to notice real quickly here that they understood it would be a biblical struggle. Raising Jesus was not going to be a walk in the park. Matter of fact, it was predicted when he was an infant by Simeon, hey girl, a sword's going to pierce through your heart, not literally, but figuratively. You're going to die a thousand deaths trying to figure out all that's going on. He wasn't born to live. He was born to die. It was going to be a very painful process. Someone said raising children is like wearing your heart outside of your chest for the rest of your life and being okay with it. What happens when you wore your heart outside your chest? It's going to get thumped. It's going to get bumped. It's going to be poked and bruised. Raising children is much that way in a fallen environment. Raising adult children is really that way. I'm just joking. I've got my son here with me today. I thought I'd aggravate him publicly in front of all of his friends. Boy, when you raise children, you, 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 you have to say, you know, it's, gonna, it's not going to be an easy road. Simeon told Mary, she says, you know, it's not going to be, it's God bless you. He blessed them. And he told them, this particular baby is going to rise. It's going to fall and rise again. It's going to bring salvation. It's going to be a light to light the Gentiles, not just the Jewish people, but the whole world. I see that he, they understood the biblical stewardship. They understood biblical standards. They did things the Bible way. I think that's beautiful that they understood it's going to be a biblical struggle. I think another thing I didn't point out to you, but I think it's pretty interesting. If you came to church this morning, you watched your little baby, 40 days old, and an old man came to you and put his arm out. This guy has got a foot on a banana peel. He's ready to leave. The only reason he's still alive is because he's waiting to see the Messiah. People are saying, when's that Simeon going to die? That old man walks up to you and says, give me your baby. Can I hold your baby? They, there was no fight. They gave this older man his baby and he held him. And he said, my eyes have seen thy salvation. What was he looking at? Was he looking at a baptistry? Was he looking at a church membership role? Was he looking at how good people are around him and how good he was? No, salvation is wrapped up in a person. I love Simeon, and I'm not doing a good job with our timing today. But I want to encourage you, and we'll maybe talk about this a little bit more this evening as we continue our thought, but let's have some strong parents. Let's have some serious parents to contemplate what your role is. Say, Pastor, I'm already done with that. Pray for us that we'll do the same thing. Some of you, 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 far, you used to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek. Now you don't do it anymore. Your commitment, has, your ceiling is just lowered a little bit. You know what you need to do? You need to deepen your love for God and let that ceiling raise a little bit. So, Pastor, you don't have to go to church three times a week to, go to be a Christian. I know that. You don't have to go to church to, to be a Christian. You don't have to go home to be married. But it makes for a better relationship with your spouse if you'll be more faithful. 
And God says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together as a man or some is. Some of us were just so comfortable. Whatever's comfortable for us, that's what we do. We make all the excuses in the world. We need to deepen our love for Christ. You have people who drive from Lowell. People who drive from the north side of Chicago in, in every one of our services of COVID. When we can only have 10 people in a room, they were here every single service. Not that everybody could have come during that time. But I'm just telling you, there's a commitment level. And serious people who are serious about stewardship, about standards, who are serious about the struggle and the difficulty, they won't be a walk in the park, but they'll continue to do what God wants them to do. And I would just say to you quickly, if I can just skip for a second, I want to remind you that Simeon, that old man, held up a baby. But it wasn't just any baby. It was salvation. It was the Messiah. And if you're here today, you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. You need to look no further than Jesus Christ. I love this church, but this church cannot bring anyone to Christ. I hope someone will get baptized this morning over there, over here. Almost every service, someone does. But that water cannot wash away sin. You can't do it for yourself. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. All the good things we want to do cannot give us eternal life. The only way we can have eternal life is through the person of Jesus Christ. Have you looked to Jesus for salvation? If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I haven't. Today would be the best day of your entire life. If you would understand, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. Jesus is my only hope. I need to accept him and his forgiveness for my sin. It's not hard to go to heaven. God did all the work. But we must personally make that decision for us. No one else can make it for you. Every once in a while, someone says, well, I was, just raised in, I was just raised in it. That's not good enough. There needs to be a time when you put your faith in Jesus Christ personally for you.